0: Well, what a better way to begin the new series than talking to, I suppose, a titan of the beauty industry, Liz Earle, whom I've admired for so long. The thing that came across is how well she just knows us women. And we speak about her womanhood from being a young entrepreneur and going straight into this huge world of beauty all the way to present day where we're talking about the menopause and and actually how she has overcome some of the stigma that has been attached to this stage of life for all of us women it was a real honor to talk to her and I have to just say, at the end of the podcast, when she mentions that she's 57, I just wish you could have all seen her. The most ridiculously beautiful, fantastic advert there ever was, was Liz Earle for her skincare range. There was so much more, so much content that she creates to help us all through this journey as a woman. And it's just a real privilege to have caught it here. And I think it's going to be one that will stay with us women for a very long time.
1: Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where we're going you won't need to bring your
0: frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006 I founded Not on the High Street for my kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom, and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favorite small businesses, entrepreneurs, and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Dell Technologies, who've helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hello, so Liz. I know that we've finally managed to find our time in between schooling and Zoom calls. Where
1: do you find yourself now? And are you in a, a mummy break at the moment? Oh, my goodness, I am. Yes, I have a break from homeschooling. I've got two of my boys home. Ten-year-old obviously needs a lot of attention. And then an 18-year-old doing A-levels who should be a bit more self Motivated, but just occasionally needs the odd prod. (laughs) It's deeply unsettling for our young people because they don't know if they're going to be sitting exams or assessed on their previous assessments. Or, you know, I really feel for them. I really feel for all these young people. My youngest had his 10th birthday at the very beginning of lockdown and we cancelled his party. (sighs) And we said, don't worry, you know, next year we'll make up for it. You'll have a double birthday party. It's going to be so much fun. And now we're having to say, to him, actually, do you know what? I think you might be having your 11th birthday in lockdown as well. It's
0: no good, is it? It has been an extraordinary time. It really has. But mostly, I also feel, you know, not mostly, but in conjunction for mums, how on earth this is actually meant to
1: work. The juggle, yes. You know, you're pivoting your business. You're trying to do as much as you can, move everything online if it wasn't already there. And all the different challenges, look after your team who obviously need a lot of looking after as well. So your family kind of gets bigger mm. and ever more needful. And yeah, prioritising. I think, you know, what happens is you sink to the bottom of the pile personally. But I think you also have to remember that you need to look after your own well being because if the wheels fall off your wagon, then everything falls apart. So it's trying to keep it all together, isn't it, at the same time? Pivoting parenting as well as pivoting your business. Mm-hmm. And I think probably we're not talking enough
0: about that, but I would love to start at the beginning, if that's okay with you, because you are the queen of botanicals. Um, You really were one of the first to understand the importance of plant oils and how they could be used to benefit our health. What led to you finding that passion? Did that start when you were little? I would love to know if that was in your childhood.
1: Yes, I think it did. My father was in the Navy and spent a lot of time at sea. And so when he came home, the garden was always his sanctuary, really, his kind of reconnection with the earth and the ground and the natural world. And he would spend a lot of time in the veg patch and I would catch up with him there. And I think I kind of just grew up with this love of, of plants and growing. And he was an engineer. He was a very practical man. And so plants that do things were always very important for him, mm. whether they were plants that smelt good or had a medicinal property or, or were great to eat. And so I guess that was part of my initial DNA, if you like. My very first job was as a junior on a women's magazine, Women's Journal, which sadly no longer with us. And that was 35 or so years ago. And looking back, that was really the beginning of these things called complementary therapies. Yes, And there were these strange breed of people called nutritionists and naturopaths doing all sorts of interesting things. And because I was the new kid in the beauty department, there was nobody really covering these things. And so I was sent off to go and interview these interesting people. And I became very quickly completely fascinated by it. And I think it did resonate with my early love of, of plants and growing things and then to realise that they have so many benefits for health and well-being and the way we look, the way we feel. And then I moved very quickly from writing for magazines. I loved writing. I I developed that very early on as a passion, research and writing. And so I wrote my first book all about plant oils, which was published, well, just over 30 years ago now.
0: Going back to your father, he was an admiral in the Navy Mm -hmm. and you moved around a lot when you were younger. You spent time in Portsmouth, Gibraltar, Malta. Yeah, What was that like for you as a child moving around?
1: Well, I guess I didn't know any difference. So for me, it was just normal. I think my poor mother, she moved house, I think, 13 times in the first 11 years of their marriage. (laughs) It's quite funny, isn't it? Because I always tried to give my own children a lot of stability, I guess, to contrast that. And when we'd lived in our first house for the first sort of like 10 years, my children said, oh, when are we going to move? It's so boring living in the same place. So you can't win, can you, as a parent? You know, you're going to get it wrong (laughs) both ways. I guess I didn't have many long-lasting childhood Friends of that era because I was always on the move. Mm. And I guess that does make you quite self reliant and independent. I just remember it as being a very happy, normal time, to be honest. I don't recall any sort of major upsets, but I do remember packing a lot of suitcases.
0: If you think about that now, if you were asked to move that many times. Yeah, shocking. (laughs) It is sometimes when you look at your parents and what they did. It is just quite unbelievable how our ages have changed us. But actually, one of these golden threads that have run through your life, and you touched on it there, is you have written over 35 books. Um, And I can't actually believe this it's almost like someone having a child
1: every year you must be writing a book a year well it has felt a bit like that But I'm quite factual. I think, again, maybe that comes from my upbringing being quite practical. Mm -hmm. So I I like writing about facts and about evidence-based research. And I like finding out about things. I'm not a big fiction reader, for example. I I would much rather read a biography that tells me about somebody or or some bit in time. Yes, I have written over 35 books, but a lot of them are quite short. You know, they are quite small. Some of them are, are bigger and longer, but, you know, a lot of those, I think 24, of them were a sort of mini series of, of slightly shorter books. So it's not as much as it sounds.
0: It still sounds pretty impressive. My goodness. You mentioned then that obviously that love of writing, you went into Time in and Beauty magazines, as you said, mm. and you said that you met these people, alternative health. And I can imagine the sort of era that you're talking about when you went into this and what people thought about it. What was it that you discovered? Did you feel like you discovered a secret that everybody else was sort of overlooking?
1: I think partly, I think a lot of the things that I write about now are born out of personal need and personal experience. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you know, recent things I've written about have been about gut health or about menopause, for example. But back then I had very bad eczema and that's something that I just inherited. It's a genetic predisposition. Unfortunately, all five of my children have it as well. So I was always looking for things that could help my own skin. And I think when I first talked to a naturopath and a nutritionist who mentioned that I might be able to change my skin through diet, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, what on earth are you talking about? You know, are you mad? Surely the only thing that will change my skin is the you know pharmaceutical ointments I'm given to rub on it. And when I put myself on a high fat diet using herbs and things like evening primrose oil and saw for myself firsthand what a difference it made to me, there's nothing like a personal experience, as you know, Holly, that, you know, to make you evangelical about something and want to share that information with other people. Yeah. And so for me, that was kind of a light bulb moment that, yes, we have the genes that we're born with, but we can actually also be empowered to make a difference to how we look and feel by simple changes in the way we live. And now we sort of,
0: as as I said, we sort of accept it as a given, but it was revolutionary stuff at the time. And then one day you received this phone call asking you to be part of Richard and Judy's team on This Morning. (laughs) I I mean, firstly, what a phone call, by the way, that must have been. (laughs) Were you petrified or did you know that you were going to have to put yourself out there?
1: No, I was completely oblivious. I mean, for those listening who are old enough to remember back in the day, there was no such thing as daytime television. So you had maybe the racing from Newmarket on BBC Two, and then the test card, you know, that was it. You know, Richard and Judy were very much groundbreaking. So I I had this call, and it came from a producer who said, look, we're starting this thing called daytime television. And I thought, well, that'll never work. You know, who on earth is going to sit in front of the television in the middle of the day?" and Uh, they said, you know, will you come up to Liverpool? Because we're looking for contributors and we've seen that, you know, your name in magazines and writing books and things. So I thought, okay, fine. So I'd been really busy. I was actually working part-time as a fashion stylist. And I just finished this huge catalogue for Austin Reed. And I was exhausted. Been working all hours. And I thought, well, that's great because I can get on a train. It's four hours to Liverpool, Lime Street. I can have a snooze, get off, see these people at lunchtime, hop back on the train and, you know, and be done with it. So I arrived at Granada and they were just doing the news, which came from the huge atrium of Granada Studios in Albert Dock. Massively impressive, very imposing setup, big, mm. big studio space with cameras and news readers. And I was ushered in. It was I remember it really clearly. It was just after one o'clock. Producer met me and said, oh, great, you're here. Just a few minutes for the news to finish and then we can do your screen test. <laughs> and I remember that awful sinking feeling that, you know, that physical sort of sick ache you get in your stomach <laughs> lower down when you know that something really bad's about to happen and you can't really do very much about it. So I said, um, screen test, what, what would that be? And they was a well didn't you get the brief? I said, no, I didn't get the brief. And they said, oh we just want you to talk for, you know, five minutes about your views on British fashion and, and where it's going. And It makes me feel so sick just hearing this. And I remember thinking <laughs> bleep bleep bleep. This is awful. But I could have sat there for four hours on a train, you know, writing something really intelligent and sensible instead of snoozing. I just thought I was going for a chat. Uh, anyway, I thought, well, you're here now. You may as well just do it. Make a fool of yourself and go home. So I did, and I just sat and I burbled in front of this camera. I'd never sat in front of a camera before. Didn't really know what it was all about. Had never seen any examples of daytime television because it, it wasn't existing. And afterwards, the producer came out from the gallery and he to sort of have looked at me and he said, you know, that was amazing. He said, you sounded so natural, like you hadn't actually prepared anything. <laughs> um, he said, that's exactly what we want. And I thought, oh my goodness, you're kidding me. He said, you know, everybody who we've had up here has sat and sort of read a script. And we don't want that because daytime television is all about being really natural. You're, you're in somebody's home, they're watching you, they're sitting on the sofa or pottering in the kitchen, and you've just got to chat to them like you would chat to a friend, like we're chatting now. And so that's how I got the job. So it was totally unexpected. I hadn't asked for it. I hadn't prepared for it. Um, And I ended up doing four years, you know, almost daily with Richard and Judy, learning the craft from the masters on everything from live TV to outside broadcast to filming to phone ins to you name it. And I actually still love Live television. That's my real passion because you've just got to make it work. Because, well, there's no time to get it wrong. I hate filming because it takes hours and hours and people edit and re edit and say, oh, actually, I think it'd be slightly better if you just stood three inches to the right. And you think, oh, come on, I've been here for four hours. We've done this already. You know, whereas when it's live, A, you can't be misinterpreted because if somebody doesn't hear what you say, they can't edit it out or change it. You know, you have the chance to say, no, 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 that's not what I meant actually what I mean to say is this. So I think it's much more authentic and real when you're live. That was the thing that they were capturing from you, this authentic love of your craft. And as
0: you said, it went from strength to strength, your TV career, which you obviously had no idea was going to be part of your life when you sat having a snooze with your crisps and a cup of tea on the train. But then you were asked to do your own show on the BBC, Beauty Wise, which is the first ever beauty show on UK TV. Around the same time, Kim, your friend, suggested that you started a skincare line Mm -hmm. that would sit alongside, basically, you broadcasting out in the daytime it was going to just be a sideline, what we call nowadays a side hustle, you know, it was just going to be this, a little bit (laughs) of a side hustle. What were those first steps like? And did you think it was mad? Yeah.
1: Kim is one of my dearest friends and we've stayed friends, which is quite remarkable as business partners. We've been through a lot together and we'd worked together as students, really, our first jobs at Moulton Brown, working together back in the day before I went into women's magazines. I was still at college. yeah. So she'd followed my career. she'd seen what I was doing with Richard and Judy. I then, as you say, went to the BBC. I then ended up on GMTV. I then had my own show in the afternoons on ITV called Lizard's Lifestyle. So I was doing all of this and I was writing my books and I was, you know, really happy with what I was doing. And she spotted this elusive gap in the market, which I think all entrepreneurs and brand founders look for. Mm. And she called me one morning and she said, Listen, you know about skin and skincare and women know you and trust you. I think we could work together and do a great skincare line. And my first reaction was actually, do you know what? I don't think that's for me because it's a bit commercial and I'm really happy doing what I'm doing, my other things. And she, when you've meet Kim, you know that you don't actually say no to Kim. She's one of those people <laughs> that eventually, you know, come what may, she will always get her way. And rightly so, she's very, very clever. And so I said, "Oh, OK, fine, you know, and of course, as you say, thinking it would be a side hustle and it just almost from day one took off. And I think we weren't expecting, nobody expects to have an overnight success. Mm. You can't really plan that. It's one of those things that when it happens, I guess the modern equivalent is when something goes viral. Yeah, You can't engineer it. You, you hit a, a moment in time. And I guess for us, it was at a time when skincare was very polarised. You are either buying from the big, slightly archaic brands with Founders who were largely dead, you know, people like Kalina Rubinstein, Elizabeth Arden, Estee Lauder. Mm. You had to go up to a counter. It was all quite intimidating and expensive. Or you went self-selection, you went into a supermarket or into a high street chemist, and you picked something off the shelf from a mass market range. And there wasn't really anything in between. So I think we created what they now call mastige, which is the, the, the crossbreed, if you like, between mass market and prestige. And using botanicals, because that was my love and passion, something really simple, affordable. We were one of the first to do mail order Mm. because we launched at a similar time to Johnny Bowden and the White Company and these you know, people who were being Mm. very disruptive in terms of not having bricks and mortar. It took us years to have our own shop. We were mail order really first and foremost, before even the internet. So we used to get letters with things called checks in the post. (laughs) (laughs) I remember. I do remember, Do you remember a cheque? My kids say to me, you know, what's a cheque? In fact, my my littlest the other day, he said to me, what's a CD? I mean, that dates me. I'm used to my older ones saying, what's a record? But, you know, when somebody says, what's a CD, that really does make (laughs) you feel a older. It's going
0: to be when they say, what is an iPhone? Uh, Then that's when we almost just check out. We're working with our partners at Dell Technologies to empower small businesses across the UK with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive. So every week we bring you the Small Business Pharmacy Live to help you navigate your business journey. Last week, we talked about your brand and how to build on its uniqueness. Bramble & Fox Shop UK, how do I clearly identify and build on my brand's uniqueness? It's an interesting one. I call it the brand heart. I would love you to dissect your heart into five sections. And I want you to really think about what makes you unique. Is it your setting, where you live? We just heard about Eve from English Stamp Company. They live 10 minutes away from the beach. So I can only imagine that scene that they could have. Is it where you source your materials? the value of your sustainability in your company is it your artistic background that you need to put in there is one of the sections your skill you need to identify what makes you completely unique and then from that i would say a very clear sort of way of looking at that is each part of your heart that's one part of your melody of your instagram For the latest lessons, advice and insights, join me every Wednesday at midday live on my Instagram as we tackle a different area of business. With a continued commitment to empower you, Dell are giving away a Tech in a Box every week. For a chance to win a brand new XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies, head to holly.co, where you'll also find loads of tangible advice on everything from marketing to brand and HR, all thanks to Dell. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. I love this idea, though, that you went and sold exclusively through QVC to launch. Mm. You sort of merged your TV. I mean, this is so smart. They knew you. So you've got your TV and your brand. It reminds me, have you ever seen the film Joy? Yes. Your lady that, yes, 18,000 mops in half an hour. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. It's a great film. Yes. I mean, it's such a great (laughs) film. (laughs) Yeah. You had these amazing, am I right in saying this? Four products that sort of, basically were your sort of staples and yeah. people could start to understand skincare having you explain it and it basically as you said turned an overnight success tell me was it really like joy where you could hear the ding 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 could you see the counter
1: no I never could Kim always could because she was to sort of back of house and I was front of house yes and I think that the whole QVC thing worked because I'd been working by then in television for you know 15 years or so and the great thing about QVC and the home shopping channels is there's never any bad news. You know, yes. you always switch it on and there's a smiley face telling you about something lovely. So, it's a really fun area to work in. And for us as a small brand, it really worked because we went on air and we sold out literally. I think I had an hour's show for the launch and we we were all sold out within the first of twenty minutes. But unlike retail, when that happens and the retailer gets really annoyed and then delists you because you're so small and you haven't restocked. With a home shopping channel, they just say, Well, that's fine. Just go away and make some more and then come back and we'll give you another show. So it gave us the opportunity to manage cash flow and to grow in a really sustainable way. Then, you know, look at developing other things. Obviously, we then went online and we had our own stores and went into John Lewis and other things as well. So it was a really interesting way of growing a brand in a very easy time. I think now it's very hard to get on home shopping because it is so popular and a lot of brands will fight for it and they take a huge margin, which is often, you know, not viable for the smaller brands. So I think it was, for us, it was right time, right place. I'm not sure that I would necessarily, recommend it so harshly now.
0: In this day and age, we talk about doing good with our business and it's something I'm incredibly passionate about, but you were doing this that you had this strong brand purpose, obviously with the benefits of botanicals in the world. But you knew how much better they could make a woman feel, how, as you said, that they could deal with things like eczema, but through what they ate. And you were just basically putting this all out there. But you also were making sure that your company did good, because right from the beginning, you had this charity budget in Mm -hmm. place. And you were very ahead of your time. Is that because you felt that you could, that you were the boss, that you didn't have to answer to anyone, and this was something that would matter to you?
1: I suppose so. I mean, interestingly, you know, Kim and I didn't come from the corporate world. So we didn't have anything ingrained within us that this was the way we should be doing something. And we always, and I still live by it, you know, try and do things for others as I would be done to myself. And so, you know, great customer service is really important. Great products are really important. And then pushing back, you Mm. know, this is, we live in this world. We are mothers. We have, you know, children. We have family. We have, you know, sisters and mothers that we care about. So, you know, doing good for women generally, and whether that's having the opportunity to source ingredients from women's cooperatives, from disadvantaged communities around the globe, or put a proportion of money back into charitable organisations that do good. I've noticed, obviously, over the years, being interviewed and asked different questions when we first started with the beauty company green was a color on a shade chart. Nobody yes. said, you know, how green are you? Nobody asked what your CSR policy was or what your carbon footprint was. Or you know, I mean, it just these just words and languages that, that didn't really exist. And mm. I think we fitted into it because we did it instinctively. We felt that was the right way to be. And I think that's always the strength when building a brand is that you have to have your core values right the way through. You can't just superimpose them. And I think mm. a a A lot of brands, particularly the bigger brands, found it difficult, that transition over the last 20 years or so, because they didn't have that as part of their heritage and it's very hard to, you can't recreate your history. You know, your history is your history and you can't reinvent it, not unless you're going to lie. And therefore trying to re-engineer your corporate values or your philosophy Mm. is quite hard to sort of retrofit something. So much easier to start it strong from the beginning with the way that you want to carry on.
0: It's interesting because I speak to a lot of small businesses and I talk about the idea of, you know, your brand, you know, think about it as planting the seeds and your roots, and then you're going to grow this enormous tree and that tree should be able to sustain um, you through storms and droughts and, you know, the, the stronger that you are. And I almost look at those roots as your core values as a founder, because in a way, everything that you did it came from you, as you said, not a manual, not a manuscript of this is how people do things. And it's, again, retrospectively becoming good, if you see what I mean. Um, as you said, for larger businesses, it's hard, but maybe smaller businesses, you can start to put this in now, mm. you know, start to bring this into the fold. And also maybe you, you and Kim, and the lesson here is, is that what you did was instinctive, but now today is a sort of given of how business should be. Maybe something that you're thinking today that isn't could be in the future. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the excitement, isn't it, of building a brand. I mean, was that exciting for you that everything
1: that you were doing was something that you believed in? I think so. I think it it came very naturally. I mean, I'm I'm always the worst person to ask about trends because I've no idea what other people are doing. Mm. You know, I don't look over my shoulder. I don't copy. You know, I'm aware of things. Obviously, I'm aware of things, you know, research and things, you know, ever more so now in the world of health and well-being. But I'm not looking to replicate what other people are doing. I look for things in my own life that I need solutions for. And certainly when Kim and I were running the beauty company, we would just look for gaps on the bathroom shelf, products that we were having to buy from other people and think, well, we need to make that then, you know, we need a liquid hand soap or we need a, you know, whatever it is, a foot cream or whatever, because I'm having to buy this from somebody else. So, you know, look for those gaps and, you know, look for the things that you're having to get from elsewhere that you don't really think are that great and you think that you can do better. Did you really not look over your shoulder? No. Well, a there was no social media. We had no idea what other people were doing and we were based on the Isle of Wight. We weren't on Bond Street so we you know we weren't looking at counters every day from, you know, competition. I do think that's important. I think it is hard, isn't it, to have comparison. I think you need to have the strength of your own purpose and your own product to believe that what you're doing is right and makes a difference and is the good product that you want it to be rather than say, how does this necessarily compare Not to say that you don't need to be aware of your market. Of course, you need to be aware of competitive products. But I think if you have something that's genuinely good and useful and you think it's good and useful, then there's a fair chance that other people will find it good and useful too.
0: This was your world. and But in 2010, after 15 years, was it, that you Mm -hmm. took the decision to sell the company? Yeah. And I presume you could have retired at that point. But before we get into sort of your next chapter, your next adventure, (laughs) founder to founder, I was interested to know Talking to founders on this podcast, it's just been unbelievable. Lots of founders selling their businesses. Some founders thinking that was the best thing they ever did. Some um, like Sahar Hashimi from Coffee Republic fell on the floor at the airport with her mother and just said it was the worst day of her life. Actually, she thought it was going to be the best and it was the worst because mm. she realised that her identity was in there. Now, your name was on the product, like Joe Malone, I suppose. Mm-hmm. What did it feel like to you? And did it take a while to get to a new place.
1: I think for me, when you look back at the history of it, I didn't set out in life to run a skincare company. Yeah, You know, I'd had a career before and had been successful in that career, you know, writing books, doing TV shows, all of that had to stop because I was just on this roller coaster of working, creating and building a skincare brand, which I loved, but ultimately it wasn't even my idea. You know, it was Kim's idea Mm. and I was really happy to do it. and, And we had an amazing amazing experience together. But the time had come, I think we'd grown the brand out of nothing, just the two of us, Mm. into a big team. It was multinational by that time. It becomes this big, almost corporate identity. And it takes sometimes big experienced global hands to see it onto its next step of the journey, you know, taking it global. And we both felt that that was the right time to move on and for me personally I think going back I almost rediscovered myself because I was able to go back and, and I signed a three book deal and went back to writing immediately and started going back on funnily enough back on this morning and doing other things so for me it wasn't such a wrench you know I mean I, I know Jo Malone you know well and I think you know if people like her it is more difficult because she is a perfumer through and through that's what she does mm. so you know she sells a perfume brand then that leaves a gaping hole. Whereas for me, you know, and I still work in beauty. I mean, I still, um, you know, write about beauty products, but, you know, yes. from, from the different side, but with a bit of inside knowledge, which is very helpful. So I still feel very connected. But I don't feel that I've had to, you know, give up a big chunk of me. If anything, I feel that it's all just been part of my natural journey.
0: I'm pleased for you. I'm pleased that, that it fell into that place. And it was interesting. I was speaking to Tati Divine, a jewellery company, and they are doing it for 20 years. And it was interesting that they spoke about, and I presumed that they were going to do it for the next 10 years and they said oh no we're looking for an, you know our brand does not have to be what we were doing we're up for the next adventure the mm. next decade of work and mm. i know i've said i'm going to retire when i'm 90 mm-hmm. lots of eccentric glasses and wine and jewelry fabulous um, and i know that you're not interested in retiring as well no. if you do what you love why retire but you've gone back full circle haven't you you now have started a business liz Earl wellbeing you've started it all over again what was that mm like to do it all over again. And I know you've spoken honestly. I mean, I'm looking at you. People can't see you, but I'm looking at Liz's face and you can only imagine what I'm all thinking. I mean, she's so ridiculously beautiful, no. but I can't believe you started your business in your 50s mm-hmm. and
1: it's the next stage. Are you as excited about this stage as you were about your other chapters? Oh, completely, if not more so. And I, I feel very fortunate because I'm working in well-being and wellness and that is the big trend. Mm. We all need to stay well. Health is wealth. And we're finding out so much more about simple ways to keep ourselves mm. and our families well. I was writing about this, you know, 35 years ago. So yes. this is me. I'm not just suddenly thinking, oh, actually, do you know what? I quite fancy going into wellness now. You know, for me, this is I'm coming home and I'm building on you know, the very first book I wrote, Vital Oils, was all about the importance of a high fat diet, low sugar, high fat. And that's what I still... Write about. You know, I'm still very interested in, in the low carb, not quite keto, but almost mm. along those lines and, and hormone health and all those things. So, to actually be able to have a startup, go back into startup mode, which is always, I think, the most exciting mode Absolutely. for any brand founder, and have a small team of mostly enthusiastic millennials who are just brilliant and really forward thinking and bring so much to the table. I know very little about social media. And tech, so I I really rely on them for that. But what I do, I think, um, and a couple of other more senior members of my team who are older, we have the wisdom, if you like, and the knowledge of older women, and then we work and we pass that on with the younger women who are then our and men who are then are passing that knowledge back up to us as well. So it's really exciting, and I love it. And above all else, I feel very fulfilled by it because it's not just oh, let's talk about wrinkles and brighter skin. It's actually, let's talk about how to live well, you know, live lightly on the planet, Mm. sort out issues, feel well, everything from pain, you know, physical, to mental health, to you know, really quite severe, debilitating issues that affect so many of us, particularly for midlife women as we age. And to make a difference is a huge opportunity. And it's a great privilege, actually, to feel that you're in a position that you can actually help other people.
0: People have careers. This day and age, people might be losing their jobs. People are having to pivot. People are having to side hustle. You started your business in your 50s. I mean, would you encourage it for people to
1: go on this journey later on in life? I definitely wouldn't discourage it. The thing at any age is you have to be completely passionate about what you're going to do. It's not enough just to think, quite fancy this, because if it goes well, and even perhaps if it doesn't, it will consume you. Mm. It will take over your life, and it should, because it's a, a really important thing, you know, to build a brand and to be responsible for employing other people and all the logistics that go into it. So you've got to feel driven, And had this feeling that you can't not do it. And I think, unless you feel that, definitely think twice or three times before starting it. I think for women as well, in particular, it can work very well because often brands can be built from home. And so if you have a position as a carer, whether that's for younger members of the family or older members of the family, I think that can work well. I think making sure that you are physically very well is really important because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't realise the extreme physical and mental pressures that are on entrepreneurs, everything from, you know, financial concerns to the physicality of just having to get things done and the brain space that it needs. So, you know, you need to be feeling very robust and in the best of health for that. And for women, that's often getting your hormones sorted as well, because, you know, if you're talking about your 50s, that's a time when you're going to have much lowered levels of estrogen unless you're taking hormone replacement, which is something that I believe is so important and certainly keeps me going. So, you know, do make sure that you're physically capable before you take on something as monumental as starting a brand.
0: You meant and their hormones and your book on the menopause. And what I loved when researching is how you are now taking this stage of your life and you are actually giving out again. You're helping other people with an honest and truthful approach to things that are not spoken about enough in any way. Is this an important part of your brand? You know, when we talked about Kim and you building Lizelle, the skincare range, that was all coming from your gut instinct. Mm -hmm. And I know you believe in gut instinct. You've written a book on it. Is that what you're doing here? Taking subjects potentially that aren't being looked after in the way that they should and bringing it
1: to the masses? I think it's about being authentic. And for me, I obviously write about and I'm interested in things that are affecting me and my friends and colleagues of the same age. And a lot of women who have grown up with me, I I get messages all the time from women who say, oh, I used to sit and, you know, I was breastfeeding my babies while watching you on This Morning with Rich and Judy back in the day and I'm now going through the menopause. And so, you know, people do come along with you on a journey. Mm. And I think I'm also a strong believer in social justice and when you find things that are wrong in society, for me in particular, that is like a red flag and I need to address it. I love busting myths you know whether it's taking apart the whole parabens in skincare myth that that's bad for you you know i spent a long time trying to debunk that and talk about the value of preservative systems and the safety of them yeah and similarly now you know with hrt and when i was writing that book on menopause to be honest when i first started it as a subject i was nervous because menopause had such a bad rap mm. and I didn't feel that I wanted to be associated with it. You know, I didn't almost want to admit that that was my stage of life because when you say the word menopause, you automatically perhaps conjure up this picture of a woman who's past it and not capable and a bit unreliable and doddery. And I, I didn't feel that was me at all. The more I researched it, the more I realised that there was so much to say and so many untruths to be shone a light on. Actually, we need to empower and support women really, there's such a massive healthcare injustice. And so I guess I just took the baton and ran with it and then got so much feedback from it that I've just kept on and and I'm going to keep on keeping on. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel that
0: you've done the miles now, that you've sort of worked that muscle? No. That you're almost speaking up, aren't you? You're speaking up for areas that need to be, as you said, I have a light shone on it. Do you feel like, well, if I don't do it, no one will?
1: I think there's a lot more people now doing it. So for example, there's a new charity, the Menopause Charity, that's just been started. I was the first ambassador for it, but we now have Davina McCall, we have Lorraine Kelly, you know, really amazing women, much, much Mm. bigger in their media presence, obviously, than I am. And they are really helping to Change lives and make a difference, and we were all campaigning at government level, you know, before lockdown to really make changes with GP training and healthcare and all of those things. So I think it's really important. And I think when you find things that aren't right, you know, I think our natural instinct, perhaps maybe more as women, I don't know, but certainly as perhaps the caregivers and, and mothers, you know, we want to fix things, we want to make things better. And I look at my own daughters and I think I don't want them to grow up with the stigma. I want them to grow up with the best possible health and awareness. You know, I've had five children and all of those times I've seen healthcare professionals and health visitors and midwives and GPs and, you know, so much support around pregnancy and childbirth. And yet not every woman will have a baby, but every woman, if she lives long enough, will have a menopause. And at no point did Anybody ever say to me? Oh, by the Mm. way, Liz, you know, when you're in your 40s, you might start to feel a bit different. You know, you might get headaches. You might not sleep so well. You might feel a bit stressed, a bit low. Don't worry. You know, it's your estrogen that's dropping. We can sort you out safely and effectively and, and helpfully. I wish I'd known that. It would have made my life so much easier 10 years ago if somebody had had that conversation with me. And now I feel that I've been given the opportunity to talk and to reference these things and to share them. And and I just can't not. Yes,
0: absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. I seriously need someone to pinch me every time I say this, but I've actually written a book. Do what you love, love what you do is packed with lessons and advice from my 20 years of experience of starting and growing businesses distilled into one colourful book. Making a living doing exactly what you love by turning your passion into profit really is the secret to happiness. I want to help everyone find their diamond and their purpose for being and turn that into a business. This book is here to help. I've poured my heart and soul into writing it, truly refining my most important life and business lessons to empower you to live your very best life, your good life, because happiness is the new rich. Do What You Love, Love What You Do is out on the 6th of May. Head to holly.co slash book to pre-order your copy now. I'm interested in, of course, you've been asked this, uh, a name such as yourself, you would have spoken about the work-life balance and all this malarkey that we get asked as women. And one of the phrases that I've tried to bring in, I'm trying to sort of change the terminologies of business. I think that, you know, we've had to live in this grey world of business slightly with acronyms and all these sorts of things. I'm just going to try and bring a bit of joy. So I've renamed small businesses, good life companies, ones that maybe don't want to exit at the end they Mm -hmm. want to have a world that's a good life work and home and sort of bring it together tell me how you've navigated this world having five children being a woman the things that we all know whoever's listening we sort of get it how have you done it
1: Well, I think to be fair, my five children are all very spread out. So that has made life a lot easier. My first two, my eldest is 30 and then 27. So, you know, they're away from home. The next two are 20 and 18. So they're also, you know, relatively self-sufficient, not entirely, obviously, at uni and and doing their own things a lot, not having to be totally micromanaged with playdates and children's tea all the time. And then the the little one, you know, also now, you know, full-time education although I have to say homeschooling is not going so well, but there we are, that's another story. And, you know, if I had five children, you know, under the age of... 10, then that would be very different. So yep. that, that I just want to p- put that in context. I'm certainly not Superwoman, but I think your idea about building good brands for life is a really key one. And I think now, you know, I started publishing my magazine a few years ago, and that's something that I see myself doing forever. You know, I'm editor in chief yep. and I can do that from home. I can do that on my own terms. I can pick up copy. As and when it suits me. Obviously, I've got deadlines, but you know, yes. realistically, I can make my diary work for me. Therefore, it's not a brand that I ever see exiting. The same with a book. I can choose more or less when to write and how to fit that around the school schedule and the family schedule. And if deadlines slip a little bit, then, you know, you do have the option to delay publication. It's not like, you know, you're working on a a frontline brand or working with a a perishable product, for example, that, you know, is a bit more time sensitive.
0: That's where you are today. But during your build up stages of your skincare brand, was it challenging?
1: Yeah, hugely challenging. Hugely. And I think what worked for in the early days for Kim and myself is that we were both young mothers. A shared experience. Totally. So we would say, you know, we'll work, we'll do the school run and then we'll start work and then we'll stop at three and then we'll do pick up, tea, bath and bed. And then we'll pick up again, you know, at seven, seven thirty and carry on into the small hours. And that's what we did. And I think if either of us had perhaps had a business partner, You know, maybe somebody who, you know, come from the city who would say, well, what do you mean you're going now? It's three o'clock. You know, I don't I don't understand. We've got a board meeting. You know, what do you mean? It's sports day. Of course, you've got to be at this meeting. You know, whereas we totally understood where the other one was. And I think that's really important if you have a business partner that they are either at a similar stage to you or they fully understand how your life works, because if your home life doesn't work with your work life, then nothing works. Mm. So it's in everybody's interest to make it all work as well as it can.
0: Liz, our wellbeing now encapsulates, I suppose, all your passions, because now getting to know you a little bit when you didn't think you were going to be a TV presenter and you end up being a TV presenter. You have a magazine, you have a podcast. The charitable work you do do is making a real difference in the world. You spend your time, don't you, between your home in London and your organic farm in the West Country, which sounds divine, by the way. (laughs) Um, And I look at your gorgeous photos on Instagram because now we can all have a little peer in, can't we? Yeah, but life
1: isn't Instagram.
0: Oh, I know.
1: Yeah, it is (laughs) and vegetables. It's very muddy at the... The moment. <laughs> and breaking the ice for the animals because it's so flipping cold is not really how I fancy spending every early, dark, wintry morning. It's that
0: 99% of life, isn't it? That's not Instagrammable. That is actually Completely. our lives. But I'm almost painting this picture. Let's imagine you're not cracking the ice and it's a glorious, sunny morning and you're out there in your organic farm. Do you feel like now you're living your good life? Is this the best part so far of being able to balance the two
1: I certainly feel that I've come home in every sense. I feel that I am definitely doing what I want to be doing and writing about what I want to be doing and working in a way that is challenging me, but also very fulfilling. And I think that it's wonderful when you reach that place. I mean, you know, I am 57. So it has taken a while to get there and to feel like that. And I have a very supportive family who are also highly engaged in everything that I do and now actually appear on my social media and, and actually want to be part of it, which is really fun especially my daughters so to feel that it's being passed down the generations makes it fun as well and and it doesn't feel like it's work although obviously it is and there are still deadlines and problems and setbacks and pitfalls that you know go inevitably with any business but they are lessened when you're doing something that you actively want to wake up and do because you're just so energised and motivated by it. 57. I can't even cope with this again, everybody. I'm looking at Liz. I'm sitting in front of a very nice light, Tolly. That is the key. Never do a Zoom without a really fabulous light in front of you.
0: <laughs> oh, that's, my goodness. But anyway, I would just say, so when you look into the future... What are some of your hopes and aspirations for your, this adventure that you're on now?
1: I think I'd like to reach ever more people. I think one of the new exciting things for me in recent years has been engaging on social media because obviously when I started the beauty brand, that didn't even exist. Barely had the internet, let alone, you know, things like Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> you had to dial up. Yeah, completely. And it would take hours, you know, to send a fax, for sake, My children said to me recently, what's a fax? I was like, oh dear. Gosh. So I love that connection and being able to be real and authentic. You know, I do Instagram Lives from home so people can see, you know, what I look like, what's Mm. my kitchen like, what am I doing? Mm. And when I drop stuff and it goes wrong or whatever and how you react. So I'm really excited by that. So I think growing that audience and sharing that message. And I, I do get daily messages from women who say, literally, you have saved my life because I've read an article that you wrote about Crohn's disease or mental health, anxiety or hormonal health or whatever it is. And so I think that's... You know, I feel very fulfilled by that and and very humbled. And it just makes me want to do more. And I guess it's like anything the more you uncover, the more you realize there is yet to uncover. And I've just begun, I feel. I think
0: you're going to be one of those people right to the end. You'll still be going, hang on a second. There's just one more other thing I need to do. I could chat you all day. But um, we're coming towards the end of this interview. And I always use the analogy, certainly from my own experience, that running a business is like being on a ridiculous roller coaster. You never quite know what the day... I mean, that's the attractiveness of it all. You never know whether it's going to be a phenomenal day and that phone's going to ring or if it's going to be one of those days that you'd rather not have. Tell me what you would say has been your biggest low on this journey so far.
1: I think looking back as a mother, I think feeling so stretched. I think back in the day, particularly when Kim and I were starting our business together, We didn't have the benefit of, you know, Zoom calls. You know, we had to travel everywhere. We had to leave our families. We couldn't really work from home. We couldn't do teleconferencing. We didn't have Google Docs that we could share with each other. And I think, you know, both of us would say that if we'd had a bit more time to be with our younger families, that would have been a benefit. So. I guess that's probably the lowest point. And I'm very pleased to say that technology has changed that for a lot of women starting up now. It's still not perfect, but it's a lot better than it was. But for me, that was a personal low.
0: And I think moving forward, don't you agree that um, we'll never probably revert back? Absolutely. We're going to have more time and it's for us to hold on to it, I suppose, and not fall back into, well, I suppose I could jump on the tube and come up and see you for an hours meeting, which we could have just done half an hour Mm -hmm. um, over a Zoom and things. And I think it's going to be a real game changer for women, as you said, certainly if they've got families or younger families. You know, I think it's just unbelievable. And tell me about, conversely, the greatest high that you had. What would you do? Your beautiful skin, I can imagine, on the roller coaster, (laughs) with the wind going through your skin and it would be just slightly blush.
1: (laughs) What would that moment be? Oh, my goodness. So many It's really hard to pick one. I think I get a high every day I read something from somebody who says, you've changed my life. My life is better because of something that you have done or said or written. That is the best feeling in the world. It gives you the biggest endorphin rush mm. and sense of purpose, which is what drives everything forward.
0: I agree with you there. Absolutely. And we've come to the end of the interview. I've been looking forward to this list, I have to say, for a long, long time. There's a few people that have been on my wall. I have this wall called the Podcast Pot. And these are faces of people I would adore to interview. And you have been on that wall Oh my goodness! for a
1: long time. So I'm so... So happy we've had this moment in time. Well, thank you. I'm very honoured to be here and thank you for having me and for asking such insightful questions. I hope it's been helpful for a few others perhaps listening and part of the journey.
0: I can say that for sure it has been. It's that time of the interview actually where I hand over to my guest who's prepared hopefully a letter to their younger selves. I don't know what it's going to say but it's one of my favourite parts and I know it's one of the favourite parts of our listeners. And so I just wanted to thank you on behalf of myself and those listening for sharing part of your soul with us today. So thank you, Liz.
1: Thank you. Dear Liz, I hope that you are happy and well. You won't be asked that question much as a child growing up. But it's important to think about how you're feeling and to reach out if you're not feeling as happy as you should. I know you weren't encouraged to talk much about your feelings as a youngster, and that was a general failure of the generation that you were born into, I'm afraid. But you'll find that as you grow up, people will talk more about well-being and about the importance of taking time out to enjoy yourself and just be yourself. It's not about achieving things every day or doing things just to seek approval or even to make others happy. You'll spend a lot of your young life doing just that. But remember, we're human beings, not human doings. And it's okay to simply allow yourself to just be without any goals or other agenda. And it's not a selfish thing either, because looking after yourself allows you to better look after those around you. You're a sensitive soul and always mindful of how others feel and what they may think about you or your actions. My advice is to toughen up a tad and shrug some of these thoughts off without losing your inherently nice nature, obviously. Lots of others are able to do this so well, much better than you, and you will envy them their harder shell. But deep within, you are a fighter and you're stronger than you think just a tad too sensitive and perhaps too hard on yourself, which can hold you back from achieving inner peace and contentment at times. Oh, and another thing, don't waste time with worry about what others think of you or worrying about what others want or expect you to do. You were created to live as your own person and fulfill your own hopes and dreams, not those of others. It will take you a while to realize this, but you'll always know in your heart what is right and what is real. So trust your instinct. Later on in life, you'll actually write a book on gut health and this will teach you that gut instinct really is more than just an expression. It's a real thing and you should trust it. During your working life, you'll get involved with those that you really weren't sure about and you'll learn that you should have listened to this inner voice, your gut instinct, which tried to warn you. Never mind, you will come through it all and be stronger for it, but I'm afraid it won't be a really comfortable time. Sure, you'll make mistakes and personal relationships will go wrong, but ultimately you will come through and some of the biggest joys will come from having your children and encouraging them to live their hopes and dreams earlier perhaps than you were able to. Try to live in the moment not always focus on the next thing, on your ever-increasing to-do list. Enjoy the good times when they come and take a moment to revel in your successes before you move on to jumping the next hurdle, achieving the next goal. There is plenty of time for that. And if you don't take time to live in the moment, you can risk never having lived at all. Remember, the goalposts in life always move. So, take a little time to enjoy the moment and live in it. You will tend to spend too much time thinking about the next thing, but don't forget to spend time in the here and now. One other important point of wisdom I'd like to pass on to you right now, and that is that you really don't have to say yes to everything. Don't forget you can always say no, or perhaps not yet. If someone really wants you to do something, or if that opportunity really is the right one, The chances are high it will still be there tomorrow, or the next day, or the next year even. Take time to sleep on big decisions. Things often look a bit different in the clear, dawning light of a new day. And stop worrying. What a major waste of time that is. My advice to you is to put anything that's worrying you into perspective. Say to yourself, is this going to matter to me in a year's time? If the answer is no, and it often is, then why waste time worrying about it now? Of course, if it's something that will matter, then deal with it positively and proactively. But don't just sit and worry about it. I know it's easy to say, but worrying is a senseless waste of time that doesn't actually achieve anything. And it just takes up valuable time and headspace. Especially don't worry about making mistakes that's experience. Move on and put it down to learning, not failure. Getting stuff wrong is how we learn and improve. But if you follow your passions, you won't go far wrong. You're an authentic individual, driven and dedicated, and people will respect you for that. But don't forget to make time for your friends and your family too. You'll spend so much of your life very hard at work. So take time to switch off and play a little bit. Make time for the fun stuff Spend more time with your children. Time flies with them so fast it's fleeting. Remember you're making their memories too and these will bring you so much joy, both to them as well as to you. You'll teach your children to be kinder than necessary but don't forget that includes being kinder to yourself too. Speak to yourself out loud as you speak to a friend in a kind and compassionate voice to affirm your good intentions or laugh at your mistakes. You have a wicked sense of humour and laughter is such a good medicine. Lastly, as you grow older and even wiser, think of how you'd like to be remembered, what difference you can make to this wonderful world you'll be inhabiting and how you will be leaving a legacy of your own children, brought up to be contributors, just as you were, but perhaps with a greater sense of joy than you will be all able to enjoy. Oh, goodness me! (laughs) that just spoke to
0: my heart. You obviously know women so beautifully well and have had this career because that letter was just a masterpiece of talking to women, to yourself, but to us. And thank you so, so much. That was just a joy to listen to. And I just wanted to say yes to everything that you were saying and saying I'm doing all of it good as in I'm going to stop worrying and I'm going to start to think like you're saying but thank you so so much and I can tell that came from all of your road that you've traveled so far and it was just wonderful thank you Liz thank you Before you go, don't forget to head to holly.co to be in with a chance of winning a brand new Dell Technologies XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.